What's up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast, where I'm joined by a very, very special guest, Neely. So if you've been in spaces, clubhouse, what have you, you know Neely. She's all around. She's great. She's outstanding when it comes to overall macro stuff. She advises CEOs. She has a great, great insight on consumers and on the jobs report. So we get into a lot of different macro topics along that, as well as you learn a little bit about her background and how she kind of got started and into all of this to add a little bit of validity behind what she says in all of these spaces. So as always, you know, these conversations with Neely can be action-packed. She's a lot of fun to talk to. I could talk to her, Neely for hours, but we cut it to just one hour. So be sure to tune in to this action-packed filled episode. And please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get it wherever you get podcasts so you can get the next episode directly to your feed. Your subscription means the world to me. And let me know what you think, whether it's sending a boost on one of the podcasting 2.0 apps or leaving a review on one of the Apple podcasts or Spotify. Please do it so I can see what you guys think or tweet at me at GreenCandleIT. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, this is not financial advice, should not be taken as financial advice. So please, please, please do your own research, do your own due diligence, and understand that everything said in this podcast is strictly for entertainment purposes only and the opinion of Neely and myself. Now, let's get into the episode. Whoosh. What is up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast. I've got a very special guest. You definitely know her from all the Twitter spaces, Clubhouse, what have you. Neely, who is honestly one of the best voices I've interacted with on uh, Twitter spaces and everything. And uh, you put together great Twitter threads. I can't even, I could go on and on. But Neely, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, and yeah, how are you doing? Brandon, I'm doing great. I am so honored that you asked me to do this. So um, I think we're going to have a really good conversation. It's just kind of fun to do with video as well as voice. So that's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's, I, I've been saying like we've been interacting for months now and we haven't really, you know, come, I guess, face to face through this screen just yet. It's always been our voices. Um, but I'm glad to finally get this, uh, you know, get, get you on here. But why don't you go into a little bit about your background, you know, who you are and how you got here today? Because, you know, some people in the audience might not necessarily know they might hear you and hear some great intelligent things, but they might not know, you know, I guess your full background and you know, how you became so knowledgeable. Yeah, sure. Be happy to tell a little bit of a story. Um, so what do I do now? And then we'll kind of work backwards on that. Um, I have the privilege of advising CEOs and boards and leadership teams about consumer behavior all through an economic lens. We do it in such a way that can build trust, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, right, to prepare maybe CEOs for their board meetings, right, as they kind of go and have to answer the questions of the board. It can also be present in leadership teams kind of coming together and they're like, hey, we're thinking about growing over the next year, three years, what's going on with the consumer, what's going to matter to the consumer, and we bring this rigor of economic realities and life stage priorities into that conversation. So there's a lot of people who can talk about like, 
oh, well, you know, millennials like pink and Gen Z likes yellow. But if millennials and Gen Z can't afford those things that are pink and yellow, it, it's kind of a, it's, it's a moot point. So we bring this both left brain, right brain dynamic into these conversations. And that's where the joy is. Um, I have a business partner. Her name is Kayla. We've been working together for 11 years. Um, we've been doing this consultancy since 2017. It's been going really well. Prior to, we were on Wall Street. And so I think when you think about like what brings you credibility to be in those spaces and to have those conversations, it's because it's basically what we did with money managers for 20 years. And um, in that in that um, journey, you know, had a ton of fun. I was head of the consumer research practice at a growth company investment bank and took a dozen companies public um, in the consumer sector, names that you would absolutely know, ton of fun. It, but what was unique about us, and I think this is actually when I think about all the the things that happen early in your career, you don't know why they happen. And then, you know, 20 years later, like, you you get it, you know, you understand kind of the happy accidents that occur into wisdom. It's that early on in my career, I said very clearly, I wanted to cover the consumer sector, not based on channel or 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 by category, but rather by consumer. So most of Wall Street is set up like, oh, you're the sporting goods retailer, right? Or you're the internet retailer, or you're the department store retailer. But the reality is she's across all three of those categories and all three of those channels. So we went with a bit of just saying we want to cover, you know, the female consumer <laughs> and follow her across her whole journey across a, a variety of retailers and brands and categories. And in hindsight, that made all the difference. I mean, so we, we really do have this longitudinal sort of perspective, cross category perspective, cross channel perspective and have trained our brains that way. Um, and that's, that's kind of what we do even now as professionals, um, as consultants and advisors. So it's, it's, it was a happy accident, good intuition, I suppose, that got lucky in the long haul. But um, that's essentially what we do now as advisors. Yeah, and it's, and it's great. And it seems like, you know, you have, like I've mentioned before, a breadth of knowledge on a various different, you know, topics. And you've, you know, had a lot of different experience that have brought you to where you are today. And there's a lot of craziness kind of going around right now, as we've been, you know, discussing for, for months right now uh, on these different spaces. So full on just brief overview right now. How do you think, I guess, the, the overall uh, Fed policy has been going as, you know, the Federal Reserve is kind of continually increasing these interest rates? And it seems like, you know, I guess a recession is almost intimate at this point. So if we're not already in it, you know, I guess that's neither here nor there. So I guess the overall environment heading into 2023, I know this is a super broad question, but how are you feeling about it? And, uh, you know, where do you think, uh, I guess, this outlook is going? Okay, let's we'll wind that one back a little bit, because that is a huge question. It is the question, right? Of course, you're asking the question. You're Brandon. You're going to ask the question, which I love. Um, stepping it back, looking at, let's look through the lens of the consumer, and let's look at the lens of businesses, and then maybe let's look at the lens of politics and Fed, right? Because those are kind of three different parallel universes that are all occurring at the same time. First, through the lens of, so let's go through businesses. We are moving from a pandemic-centric economy 
to a cons- to a consumer centric economy again. Now the consumer is already there, right? I mean the consumer is kind of like I'm over it, right? On on pandemic, on COVID, like as much as you know, n- n- not even trying to make the commentary about right, wrong, and different or whatever. Like you can just see it. The consumer is just there. They're still at restaurants. They're still you know running around without masks. Like they're done. Okay, that's where the consumer is largely at at this point in time. Businesses, however, are still kind of reeling a little bit from that pandemic-centric economy. If you think about it, they're still dealing with supply chain issues, right? They're dealing with um, continuously high costs, maybe because of supply, maybe because of demand, um, maybe because their supplier went out of business and they had to go find another supplier. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on in the supply chain still. So there's there's this ghost and remnants in businesses on the pandemic-centric sort of economy as well. But getting them to look ahead that the consumer is already there, that's actually largely been our challenge in boardrooms and in conversations with management teams, you know, like your consumers there, be there. Um, And so when you think about those two things, um, the question is like, how do you, you know, invest? I mean, that's not, we don't give investment advice, right? But that's, you have to kind of ask yourself as, as an investor, am I approaching this perspective through the lens of, where the business cycle is at or where the consumer kind of is at. Those are kind of two different things. Um, Now, what does that mean ultimately for like Fed and coming back? Consumer behavior begins with an economic reality. And that economic reality is first and foremost jobs. Do I have a job? Do I not have a job? Do I have cash, right? Like literally that is the first question you have to ask with consumer behavior. Do I have cash? Number one source of cash, jobs. you know, am I getting waged well, right? Do I feel good and confident in that? There are other considerations, like how much of my cash that I have from an income is going out to, you know, paying for things, things I need and things I want. We are totally in a situation where the things that we have to buy have been costing us more than the things that we want to buy, which has been constraining some of our consumption budgets generally speaking, that's one of the big questions, right? Like, what is that cost going to be in 2023? And will inflation be tame? We think largely it could be tamer than maybe where it's been on a relative basis. But, you know, I was just at Costco and trying to find eggs and they were like sold out, you know, of eggs and the eggs that are there are still pretty expensive, you know? So I, you just, I'm not sure there's, that's when you go back to the business is still kind of in a pandemic centric economy, even though the consumer is not. Um, So we're kind of constantly balancing back and forth through, you know, where's the consumer at on that cash to spend? Where are they not? Maybe that's a good place to start for us. I don't know. What do you think, Brandon? Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great place to start because let's bring let's bring it to the consumer. You talked about, you know, the jobs and first, you know, obviously things you want to buy, inflation going skyrocketing, whether it's gas, food, grocery stores. You know, I, th- I think I even saw a, a video from Cardi B uh, saying how the grocery bill is three times the amount. So, you know, it's not just the average consumer now. Everybody's kind of waking up to the fact that, hey. You know, what I need to buy every single day is way more expensive than it was before. And, you know, on top of that, we're, we're kind of having uh, and that's being a little bit more popularized. But we're having, you know, Jerome Powell call, talk about, you know, wanting not wanting, I guess, but essentially an after effect of the 
um, you know, Federal Reserve raising interest rates, it's going to be increased unemployment, right? There's going to be tightening and everything like that. And we've just recently had, you know, the Jolts report come out. And I know you did a Twitter space the other day on that. So, um, and, and I know we had another one that that was released today too. I, I can't remember the, the name of it, but I do. ADP. Remember- ADP yeah, was out today. It. Yes. So ADP, and I believe that it missed expectations. So the expectation was unemployment was going to be a little bit higher than, than it was. Um, so um, it was I guess- flipped around, flipped around. Okay. I, I, I can explain. I can explain this. Okay. So it. labor is actually doing really strong. So when we go back to that, you know, the consumer reality of economics, their labor labor picture is good. Right. There's the real. I mean, yes, we're starting to see some of the layoff actions right here, right now. But by and large, the 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 preponderance of um, economic data kind of taken as a whole is that we're doing reasonably well ish currently on labor. But here's the deal. Labor is like the last thing to move. (laughs) Things don't go well in the economy. It's a lagging indicator. It's not a leading indicator. There are some leading indicators within employment that we do watch for. you know, for example, some of the things we would look for would be uh, in um, a jobless claims, you know, and that comes out every single Thursday morning. We look at the job opening, so the JOLTS report, that's another potential leading indicator as well. But the um, the overall uh, uh, jobs component is like, it's going to, we'll, we'll see all the job loss like after the recession, right? Like after the effect. So I think... One of the things to keep in mind is, you know, well, does the consumer like feel on other components of their, you know, do they have cash and do they want to spend it? And you're bringing it up. It's on interest rates in general. You know, rising rates for a lot of consumers will generally mean, you know, potentially higher credit card rates, higher delinquency rates. Um, if they have to go for a loan, the cost of that loan is more expensive today than it was a year ago. And they might not be able to access a full value of what it is that they would have been able to access a year ago because of the cost to borrow is just simply higher. It's like basic econ 101, right? And that is something that we're looking at and watching pretty closely in terms of what the effects of those rising rates might be in the lending cycle for um, consumers. And, you know, I think, and we do talk about this kind of frequently, and it's been such a talkable point, if that's a thing. It's the student loan dynamic that I think has been concerning us the most, Brandon, as we look ahead to 2023. So if the story in 2022 was all about inflation, we think possibly the story that is going to be 2023 on the consumer's capacity to spend is student loan repayment, right? And that is a really messy, really complicated topic. But that is something that we're watching very closely. And we might we might get some early indications, you know, this spring about how that's going to shake out for the 40 plus million, you know, people who still have student loans, which is a lot of people. That's not insignificant to um, how many people we have consuming in the United States of America. So we're watching that really, really closely. And um, we're a little concerned about that repayment going to affect while interest rates are high, like, will that actually be this inflationary sort of effect on consumption where people are just not going to feel as robust to spend? 
Yeah. And I mean, I, that, that's a topic that I, honestly, I think I've only really heard you bring up in a lot of these spaces because, you know, it, it seems like, all right, it's, it's headline news when, you know, president Biden delays the student loan repayment or says, Hey, there's not going to be any interest loan payments. And then everybody kind of forgets about it. It gets brought up maybe every, every once a quarter or so that, Hey, like maybe I'll get $10,000 or something like that towards these student mm -hmm. loans. But, you know, from the most part, people that I know anecdotally, they're just like, all right, cool. Like I get a break on my payments. They're not trying to pay it down while there's no interest, which is pretty unfortunate at this point in time. And, and, you know, like we said that we're seeing expenses and everything go left and right. And obviously increase, we're seeing rent go up, gas, food, all these kind of expenses. So I think like, you know, consumers, unfortunately, are getting used to uh, these higher expenses, but not getting used to that extra payment, whether it's a couple hundred dollars or maybe even more. And so, you know, I guess once that opens up, do you think that's just going to be a, like a floodgate just sort of opening where it's like, hey, like, you know, all these consumers here, they just didn't, they just forgot about this, you know, a couple hundred dollar payment that they've had to do for, you know, previous pre-COVID years, or maybe they didn't even have to make them before as well. Like maybe, you know, they just started, a job or something like that. And it's been no interest payments the entire time they've been in the workforce. So they've never really even been used to it. So um, I guess, yeah, I, how do you think that that after effect is going to be? Because that is something that, you know, like we, like you said, it, it's not something that too many people are really talking about. And, you know, on top of that, I think, you know, savings rate is down and, and credit card uh, debt is up as well. So uh, the overall spending habits of the consumers doesn't seem to be in a great place. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't feel very um, prepared, right? For what's around the corner. Let's we'll, we'll give them that. It doesn't feel very prepared. Yes, and and we're you know we're not out there kind of with this massive doom and gloom per se, but rather um, I do feel like sometimes our job as advisors on the consumer economy is to you know, imagine like a 70 car pileup, right? And we are around the bend before the cars know they're heading into that pileup. And like, I almost sometimes picture myself, you know, with like an orange, like traffic cone, like trying to like throw it at cars, like slow down, right? We know we've done our job well as advisors when CEOs come to us and say, hey, thanks for the heads up on that. Instead of firing people, we were able just to go on hiring freeze you know, because they were able to catch it early enough, right, in terms of not overspending. So we're, 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 we're paid early identifiers of trends to begin with. That's just the way that we're wired. And so often the markets deal with what is, and we are constantly looking about what could be around the corner. And that component on the student debt repayment is one that I feel wholly unsatisfied um, by the lack of rhetoric going on around the potential implications of what that can mean for such a large amount of consumers having to repay. And part of the problem, Brandon, is that we the data on student re, uh, student loan repayment is actually pretty poor. I mean, we don't have a ton of transparency out of the U.S. government about exactly who's been repaying and who hasn't. Um, we've just been given a couple breadcrumbs of statistics that may or may not be wholly representative about who, you know, has been repaying and who might need, you know, sort some sort of help. 
but it's it's not been the most transparent set of data to be to be candid and that i think adds additional layers of you know kind of caution or orange traffic cone throwing you know sort of activity out of us with our with our clients but it it's going to be um quite the topic in 2023 oh for sure and i mean it's it's not only that right i mean it's student loan repayment and then on top of that you know potential increased unemployment so we kind of glanced over it at the beginning on um, these various you know uh, unemployment job reports but there's multiple of them so um, I know I've heard you on Spaces kind of go into, uh, you know, the validity of some of that data and kind of, you know, the, the problems in, in some of it. So, um, you know, wh- the, the floor is yours now. Why don't you kind of go into, you know, how you view some of that unemployment data and maybe some of the holes that, that can be poked into it. Okay, okay. This is some of my favorite things to talk about. All right. So you have the BLS jobs report. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics puts out um, a monthly report called the current employment situation and uh, what we fondly call internally the big daddy jobs report right because you know it has a name and it has a place and everybody's quite obsessed with it that data comes into two surveys you've got something called the household survey and you have the establishment survey the establishment survey is uh, representative of businesses reporting through their own kind of normal functions and who they have um, in their you know I don't even think it's HR. I think it's typically like through their treasury and controller department, what have you. And or maybe it's actually payroll, but they are, they're, they're reporting in through business establishment, through business established practices. And it's this on rinse and repeat sort of programmatic reporting. They have no reason or incentive ever to lie. I think that's something to kind of keep in mind when you think through the establishment data. It is just this is what we have. This is what we're doing. It gets recalibrated later in terms of um, the state level uninsurance uh, income program. So like there's tax receipt kind of calibration of the data that happens once a month in, uh, in the springtime. So they kind of recalibrate the data based on tax receipt type activity. I won't bore you with the details. The point is, is like, it feels to me like it's good data right because there's good processes around it now the household survey and there's debate by the way about everything i'm saying here there's debate like you get a bunch of economists in a room we're all going to debate this whole thing the household survey data is consumer spoken and so the thing that and we used to do consumer surveys all the time when we're on wall street and here's some things that i've learned about consumer surveys people who are really busy like you and like me yeah, we don't take the time to fill out surveys. <laughs> we're like, thanks. No, 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 we're good. Thanks. Got you, boo. I'm good. I, I got to go, right? Like, I have no time to fill out surveys. Chances are pretty good. The higher and the more money you currently make, the less likely you are to actually fill out a survey um, because you're you're very much likely busy with your time and what have you, right? Building businesses or maybe you don't even open the mail, right? Like, I don't even know. But the point is, like, it's not going to happen. And then you have people on the lower end of the spectrum who are maybe hard to reach. There could be language barriers. There could be, um, they're also very busy because they're doing, you know, working outside of the home. You've got care within the home. You know, there's a lot of things that they're also tackling. And so we wonder a little bit about the survey response rates at the lower income as well. And so we just wonder, like, 
are you really getting a good swath of information and data out of the household survey? I mean, I don't want to question the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I have friends who work there. I adore them. I would love and long to be one of their technical advisors one day, right? So no shade there, but just the concept of the survey um, would speak to us as being, maybe you don't always get the best data out of it. And that is, that's why we tend to look at just that establishment data um, overall for us. Now, there are some interesting things in the household survey. We will reference them from time to time, but the establishment data is, is actually largely, I think, what the Fed will refer to as well when they're looking at their overall jobs numbers. So um, that's the big daddy jobs report. Then you also have ADP, which is, you know, a private entity that has that runs all of the payroll checks and so they have a pretty decent sample size as to how many people are um, getting paid their payroll through the ADP payroll system so they have a pretty good swath I would say high credibility potentially into their data sets they reworked their data though they changed their whole methodology over this past summer so just as a general rule I right now I'm like your, your data set's got to be in timeout till we make sure that it kind of works, you know, um, because in the real world, because it's just been a model and possibly back tested, but um, it's one to watch in, in, the, uh, in the future. Then you have other ways to look at things like job openings, job quits, job layoffs. That's out of the JOLTS report. Um, that is great as well. However, it's on a month delayed basis. So whereas the jobs report tomorrow is going to be referring to December, the JOLTS report earlier this week was in reference to November. So it's a delayed month basis. So it's not necessarily the most current data that you're looking at with JOLTS. And then we have the jobless claims, and that's a really good measure of people who um, are laid off from their jobs and they need to flag like, hey, I need some financial help and I need it now because I don't have a job right now. So it's really good at measuring shock to the labor market on those initial claims. And then drag on the continuing claims, like do people keep needing help because they keep not being able to be rehired? And that is um, the jobless claims and that's out every single Thursday morning. So we have to look at a lot of jobs data to come up with a jobs thesis, but overall the labor market is strong currently and we're um, monitoring how that might migrate and as demand potentially starts to slow because of those other things you and I just talked about, student debt repayment, um, you know, the continuation of some high costs in some major categories, maybe just like fatigue, consumption fatigue, you know, credit card being really high and, you know, all those other factors. So we monitor. Yeah, for sure. And it seems like, you know, in... I guess going to more towards the business side of things, there's been you know, massive amounts of layoffs when it comes to tech and maybe some of these growth companies. But, um, you know, obviously you, you have some experience advising in some of these other you know companies and other things like that. Maybe not necessarily tech because it, it did seem, you know, massive evaluations. We saw, you know, a lot of these companies paying stock based compensation and, you know, their stock price was extremely inflated. And we're now seeing that kind of come down. Um, and so, you know, various other factors as to why, you know, growth maybe had a lot of these layoffs, but, you know, from the CEOs and just like, you know, people that you're talking to and in, in some of your experiences, do you kind of feel that, I guess, you know, because there's been almost like writing on the wall and there's been a lot of these signs pointing to, hey, you know, there's going to be a recession or, hey, there's going to be some more tough times ahead. 
uh, that, you know, businesses are maybe a little bit more prepared um, going forward. And maybe that's why, you know, we're seeing kind of, you know, strong labor market statistics right now. Or do you think that, unfortunately, as Jay Powell has kind of mentioned in his in his minutes, that uh, there is going to be more pain ahead? We think it's possible there could be some more pain ahead. And and it's it's not because we want it. It's because we can see why we might have, I don't want to say overhired, but possibly over-retained employment over the last couple of years. And, you know, it's, I, I actually have a tr- tremendous amount of empathy, you know, for CFOs particularly, because they, if you think about it, right, like they woke up on January 1st, 2020, and they were like, this is going to be a great year, right? <laughs> and then like within a quarter, it was like, um, yeah, everything you have ever known to be true in your job. Yeah. That's just thrown out. you got to just wing it. I mean, we were on the phone with, I mean, a lot of our clients are retailers, right, as well, and brands, and they were laying off, you know, 85% of their workforce in all one month and still having to keep their online operations going. And it was just such a year of just sheer chaos. And I remember having this lovely conversation with a friend of mine who runs HR, I won't say where, but at a very, very large, notable company. And, you know, she was, she was saying, like, the people who shined this year were people who were just unbelievably resilient and agile and and how do you how do you reward them when (laughs) like their only ability to really shine is when you have a global pandemic right (laughs) like like that's their year right to really show like who they are and from a performance review perspective how do you actually like honor that but you hope to never see a global pandemic again right and it's an interesting point because we do have different skill sets and we have different sort of abilities to kind of step in and use our traits to to be resilient when it's time to be resilient have grit when you're supposed to have grit so it's an interesting broader conversation i'm bringing this back to i think so often we get stuck into looking at columns and rows and numbers and decimal points and dollar signs, but CFOs see projects and plans and growth and financial resources and human resources and the need to answer to a board and the need to answer to wall street and the need to answer to, you know, their wife at home or their husband at home. You know, it's, it's, they're actually real people, you know, who have, complex lives and complex people that they have to answer to, yet they are the standard bearer often on proposing, you know, here's what we need to do to trim things up or trim things down. And I do think our word for 2023 is efficiency. And you can't have a word efficiency without believing that there will be some sort of streamlining of human capital resources in in the new year. So where do we think that that's going to be? I think a lot of companies are going to start looking at, okay, it was a crazy 2020. You know, if you sold toilet paper, you did really well, right? If you were a dentist's office, you did poorly, right? Because you had to shut your business down in that year. That started to flip in 2021 and then 2022, but it was still delayed because of a lot of incentives on the government side around federal pandemic unemployment compensation, people were getting paid additional money to basically still sit out of the workforce, right? 
And so companies had to get really used to streamlining without them. And I think that's what's going to be interesting as we go from 2022 to 2023, because 2022 was like full reopening. When we go 2023, you know, are we going to reevaluate maybe who was there with us in the trenches and who stretched themselves to the point that they needed to be stretched when we needed to do those stretch assignments, you know, in the, when things were tough? Are, am I going to give you those promotion opportunities, right? And, and are we going to grow kind of through the vein of longer-term employment versus temporary, I just need to fill bodies sort of employment? And and so, I, I mean, Brandon, I would love your perspective on that because I, I think this is when it gets into the, the softer side of what we do is understanding kind of human behavior because the consumer is first a laborer. You know, they, they labor first, then they consume. They don't consume and then they labor. And and there is absolutely a connection between the two. And if there's been distrust in the labor markets, it will show up as distrust in the consumer markets. And so we're, we're constantly looking at that behavior um, of what's going on in the workforce. But do you have a perspective on this? I mean, this is this is an interesting question for 2023. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. It is a very interesting topic. I think... You know, there, there is somewhat of, I guess, a distrust or maybe, you know, the after effect of COVID that, you know, a lot of people, maybe millennials, you know, people my age, maybe even a little bit younger who just kind of got in the, in the workforce or maybe got laid off during COVID that they're like, oh, wait, you know, my job is just hanging in the threads of, you know, this business uh, here or there. And I really don't have any control over what happens. And, you know, maybe it's something where a lot of people had to go on unemployment that maybe never thought they did. They're like, Hey, I got college educated. I have all this background. Or maybe it was a situation too, where, you know, they picked up a job outside of an industry that they weren't really expecting to get into because of, you know, like you said, that resiliency. Um, and so we got into that. And then we also got into an environment where, you know, then there was just massive amounts of, you know, PPP loans and other things like that, where, there was a, a large influx of jobs where, you know, I, I know some people anecdotally too that are like, hey, you know, I, I've got a remote job and there's not as much left for me to do right now. And, you know, because of this loan my company got, I'm seeing all these other people get laid off. I should get another job. And they either either jumped to another job or even had two remote jobs at the same time. And so I think, you know, they got kind of used mm -hmm. to that lifestyle and then mm -hmm. maybe they're like, all right, well, now things are getting more expensive. Maybe one job is like, hey, now now it's time to kind of go back into the office. And so that lifestyle maybe isn't as sustainable. So I think, you know, what I kind of, I guess, foresee happening is that one, you know, either those people that, that like you said, were resilient, hopefully those companies reward them and, you know, boost them up. But other companies are kind of seeing maybe things that are going on at at Twitter or some of these other companies where they're doing massive amounts of layoffs and it's still kind of business as usual, they're like, Hey, you know, maybe we're going to, as these costs and everything keeps getting more expensive as the year goes on, we're going to continue to kind of lay off and maybe not, you know, not increase wages, maybe not, uh, you know, uh, hire. Uh, we're going to keep keep on those hiring freezes and the jobs might not be as readily avail available as they once were. So I think, uh, 
you know, it, it's definitely going to be something to watch. And I think, you know, for as far as like the consumer perspective, as you said, they are a laborer first. Um, I think that the job market is definitely going to to decrease, unfortunately, over this next year. And maybe there's not going to be that access to as high paying jobs, although expenses are going to be you know, increased, which is going to leave the consumer you know, a little bit tighter in the pockets here um, or maybe forced to you know, pick up a roommate or do something that, that they maybe wouldn't do before. But I think, you know, throughout COVID and throughout this, you know, all kind of past couple years, a lot of uncertainty and whatnot, uh, a lot of people have kind of determined like, hey, I, I can't really live off of this one income stream or guarantee everything off this one income stream. And they've been determining other ways to do that, whether it's, um, you know, driving Uber or doing Uber Eats or, you know, something like that. One of these like makeshift jobs where they whenever they need some extra money, they're going to do it. And so I think those are going to kind of continue, but maybe like the services aren't going to be used as much. So, I, I mean, I think that there's going to be like uh, overall for, for the consumer and the laborer and whatnot, that that overall quality of life is is probably going to decrease a little bit in this next next year or so just because of higher prices and the need for either, you know, hey, we're going to need you to work a little bit harder to earn that salary or, um, you know, you're going to need to pick up yeah, maybe it is an extra side hustle or something like that. So I think the popularization of that is both good and bad. It's good for, you know, the people that understand like, hey, like I'm making sacrifices and I'm going to invest. I'm going to be smart with my money. But it's also bad for, you know, the quality of life for for a lot of people who are, you know, now, uh, you know, maybe that lifestyle of the the nine to five, the 40 hour work week is now turning into the 60 hour work week. And that's just to get by. And it's maybe not something where, you know, it's it's going to be super productive and it's going to be something in, you know, in your job, maybe specifically, but it'd be more so off of, uh, you know, just maybe just offering a service and just offering man hours kind of thing. So I know that's kind of a long winded answer. Yeah, but- and I just. I think it's a, I love hearing your perspective because I think this is these are the conversations that need to be had. You know, maybe perhaps someone's going to be watching this and maybe they've been watching TikTok a lot lately and TikTok has been telling them, you know what? You are paid to be there at till 5 and so you're leaving at 5:01. Okay, and I understand that. Okay, I'm not asking someone to sell their soul to their employer. But this might be a good year to stay to 501, okay? You know what I mean? And it might be a good year to raise your hand and ask to do things that you were not actually tasked to do. Because this might be the year it's going to be between you and someone else. And, like, you know, you might want to keep your job, right, at that organization. And so I, I, I'm not, you know, I, I know that probably sounds like a, Xer boomer sort of statement. I don't even know, Brandon. I'll take I'll take the heat on it. You know, my 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 mug today is comments have been disabled. Okay, so <laughs> well, I mean, on that point though, there there was like a trend kind of going around last year. I don't know how plugged in you are with the, the TikTok world. I don't even have a TikTok, but I heard I about won't it. download it. But I see yeah. the reels like on Instagram. So exactly, yeah. yeah. But there was the the, the trend of the whole <clears throat> quiet quitting where people would just you know I guess. 
know, it, it, the old phrase was mailing it in, right? They would mm -hmm. show up, but they would be there. They'd not really be there. Well, you know, the whole quiet quitting movement is, I guess, even easier when it's everything's remote and you could just, hey, like, I'm just not going to open my laptop today or I'm not going to do anything like this. And, and that was kind of like the situation, like people would just not work and hope their employer wouldn't notice. And some of them didn't for, for a decent amount of time. And, um, you know, I think that things and like, you know, when the job market gets a little bit tougher, right, and you've maybe not had that full resume and full, you know, connections or, or whatnot, or uh, I can't think of the word, but, um, you know, recommendations or, or what have you. Referrals and references. Yes, yeah, that's mm -hmm. it. You, you don't have the referrals um, that maybe you might need. I mean, you never know how far those things could go. And if you're one of these people that were just like, hey, the job market's always going to be good. I'm going to do jump on this trend and do the whole quiet quitting and get paid to not work and, you know, jump from coffee shop to coffee shop or, you know, go to the park or, you know, do whatever instead of actually, you know, sitting down and, and getting down to brass tacks. You know, I think like a lot of people might have an unfortunate wake up call and, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it makes me really worried about 2023 because, you know, it's not only like an education standpoint, like how am I going to manage my money, but it, it all starts, like you said, at, at the labor market and the, the consumer, right? Because that consumer needs to be able to spend the money for, you know, in economies to thrive, right? So, I don't know. Uh, speaking about this, like I, I, you know, I think it's a very important conversation, but it also gets me very worried because I don't really have the most optimistic outlook when it comes to 2023. Unfortunately, <laughs> you, you say it with a chuckle, like I do. I'm like, it's a nervous chuckle, people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nervous chuckle. Now, I do think that there is a possible bright spot. Um, one or two for next year. So, I, you know, I will give. You know, this is what we do, right? As critical thinkers, we hold oppositional views in our head and we keep testing them out like that's that's the sign of critical thinking and a couple of things that we have been watching very closely has been millennial household formation so you know millennials on the upper bound are in their early 40s um, in terms of the older millennials and they go all the way down i think to their mid-20s at this point <clears throat> and <clears throat> yeah, that's right like mid to mid to late 20s and they have undoubtedly had a really raw deal, I think, with the economy overall. I mean, I, I could, and we have, you know, written about this extensively with our clients around, you know, there were so many of them. And so just even college was more competitive. And because college is more competitive, it ended up becoming more expensive, you know, as a result too, for, um, you know, then getting a job right out of college, also very competitive overall. Um, and then on top of that, they were strapped with more debt, right? Because the cost of college was actually higher and, you know, and whatnot as well. And so there's just like all these little things. Oh, and by the way, they've seen one, they've seen two, possibly three recessions. I don't know. You know, we're going to debate probably um, some other definitions of recessions, but they've, they've experienced friends and family from the ages of 16 to like 22. If you look at their demographic, they've experienced actually, you know, more than experienced, um, or, you know, kind of 
terrorism, I should say. Uh, they've seen terrorism, they've seen um, bullying, cyberbullying, and kind of other sort of psychographic sort of dynamics there, living their life, you know, kind of behind the lens of constantly being on call um, with like their image and what have you, and kind of like, does everything look perfect, that, that concept. There's just been so many things about that millennial generation, particularly on the younger side of the millennials, but they are in fact getting married. And it's happening later than maybe the generations happened before them. But we're very intrigued by this. Um, we we think that as they, we, we think we actually saw a pretty big boom in that marriage dynamic in 2022. Um, a lot of weddings happened in 2022. So, you know, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby in a baby carriage and if that is the case and there's a lot of there's gonna be a ton of articles and different perspectives that are be like they're never having children okay which is fine but our experience has been life stage not age actually dictates consumer behavior and so if they go into this life stage of household formation you know will it be that they do it with uh perhaps even more solid partnerships because they did wait longer you know, to get married? Does that mean that the divorce rate for the millennial population will actually be lower as well? Divorce, by the way, is like a killer to wealth. It's not helpful to wealth. It's a killer to wealth. So, you know, could it be that even though millennials look like they're super poor right now, but in the end, relative to boomers, because they don't get divorced, you know, is that going to be a massive wealth effect in the future for them potentially? You know, these are some things you can kind of actuarially run some calculations around. Um, as they have children and as they become parents, are they going to um, undo maybe the damage that was done to them on the social media side? You are seeing a lot of trends around like, I only want, you know, vintage made wooden toys for my child at our, at our baby shower, right? And so like, they seem to be going analog, even though they were raised digital. And that is also very fascinating. Like, is that really good for executive functioning brain health? You can hear it, right? You can hear from me, like all the things we think about, not just about like, what's 2023, but rather what's that longer term trend and how can we guide our clients into thinking through pathways of growth behind some of those long um, pathways or behind some of those long trends. But we're, we think that that could be an interesting trend. Millennials, household formation, baby making, parenting, and how they might choose to parent differently than um, perhaps they were parented. Yeah, that is interesting. And that that is maybe a bright spot that, that I haven't really thought about either. So, I mean, on, on top of that, you know, you never know, I guess, right? So there there has been a lot of marriages or weddings that have kind of occurred within 2022, 2021, that maybe were kind of an after effect of getting delayed from 2020. And I'm sorry about my dog over here. He's excited. But, awesome. uh, yeah. He agrees with me. Okay. Exactly. He's <laughs> So, I mean, but that's the other thing, right? So there are, there has been a lot of millennials too that I guess, it, here's kind of a good uh, segue into this, that instead of having children and getting married, maybe they got the COVID pet, right? So maybe they moved in together and that's kind of like the, their their uh, initial step. Oh my gosh. It's, 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 it's so crazy I love here. that it's right on schedule. He knows that we're talking about him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, but uh, yeah, with, with all that, it seems like, yeah, maybe the couples are a little bit stronger and the divorce rate isn't quite as high because 
you know, I believe that the statistic is like if you've been married under the age of 25, the divorce rate like triples uh, compared to if you're married after that. So that is maybe a, a, a good point as to couples maybe staying together a little bit longer that, you know, com combination of the wages is maybe coming a little bit later in life. Um, and they're, they're maybe a little bit more prepared. But, you know, on top of all of that, we're also seeing, uh, you know, housing becoming more expensive. We're seeing, you know, the potential of maybe wages kind of stagnating in 2023, too. So, I mean, I think that maybe the combination of that will help, uh, you know, because maybe instead of spending one to one, you'll spend like 1.5 to two or something like that uh, as you're combining these wages. So um, it'll be an interesting trend to watch. Uh, for sure, to say the very least. But we did have uh, a few fan questions or, okay. uh, you know, people on Twitter. So I kind of want to get we'll to try. that. We'll before. try. My personal best. Yeah. So What's our we, first one, Brandon? So we have Howard, who is a, uh, you know, a great fr friend of the program. He comes into a lot of the Twitter spaces and everything like that. Um, but here's the tweet. He, he, he wrote two back, back to back. He said the interplay of microeconomic behavior of consumers and macroeconomic developments. He wants to know specifically how you and distill analyze and extrapolate these dynamics. If you can get into that. I think so. And hello to Howard. Um, we adore you, Howard. Uh, I would say it's probably in our framework. We have something that we call the distill, you know, framework for consumer spending. It's quite, it seems very simple, but it's actually very complex on the back end. You know, does the consumer have cash? One, do they want to spend it? Two, like everything around consumer spending can in fact be wound up into those two questions. And on the, do they have cash, right? That's generally speaking quantifiable. Um, you know, you can calculate employment and wage and the cost of things and taxation and asset prices, et cetera. I mean, you can calculate all those things, but it's still yet not enough to know. So in some ways, that's like macro for the micro. The micro, uh, as it were, I think is where the reference is here on consumer behavior is getting maybe into the softer side of what we do. You know, does the consumer want to spend and on what category and why? And that requires um, a tremendous amount of reading, observation, conversations, um, you know, just bringing in kind of, it's a huge net that you cast to really understanding where and why consumers are doing what they're doing. A lot of demographic work, a lot of life stage type priority work and, and how that, like, like we're talking with, you know, pets. Here's a great example. Here's a great example. You were like, Hey, you know, we had the COVID pet. Okay. That's great. At some point, Brandon, you may choose, I'm assuming you do not yet have a child. Okay. No. At some point you may choose to have a child. Do you really think that when that child comes into your life that you would treat it any less of a prince or princess that you did your pet? No, not, not a chance, right? I mean, I, the, I, I've, I've actually seen like various statistics too on just pet spending has been you know outrageous because like you said, you know, people kind of had the, the COVID pet or, you know, had a pet instead of having kids and decide to put that off. And they've been treating their pets like, you know, their baby and uh, they've been spending quite a bit of money on their, on their babies. Well, so one could one maybe. could surmise that you've been conditioned already 
to spend at a premium for your future child that you do not actually know about yet, right? So that is, you know, that's a good example of how do we study today's behavior and how well, that might arc ahead around the corner and how do you potentially invest, you know, in that trend around the corner as you see signs um, invest for us giving advice to companies as they have pathways for growth, right? So that is that that's a great example of where you take the micro back into the macro um, and where you take the macro into the micro on the consumer spending side. So hopefully that answers Howard's question. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, I think you, you nailed that on the head. So, um, but I'm, obviously I'm a little biased, but uh, we'll move on to another uh, person because I think, you know, Howard's second question, I, I, well, I'll just read it out, I guess. Howard's second question is the current state of play of evolution of generational predilections and macroeconomic effects generation by generation and then he's also talking about housing formation which we kind of talked about a little bit er earlier but also you know automakers tech travel education like how do you uh, you know how, uh, i guess it, how does this all affect um you know job professionals work and entrepreneurship um i guess as you know it's a very broad question but he uh, you know kind of hit on various topics. I don't know if there's anything in there that you want to nail right away. No, I think we, we did a pretty good job of actually talking through some of those household dynamics. I would, I would maybe add just one more additional point on the generational interplay. And something we're watching very closely is we do have an increasing number of people who are opting out of the workforce into what those retirement years might be. And we do think that the earlier sort of walking into retirement very likely could be because you have um, some parents helping their children on the childcare side. And, and it's this kind of cross-section of joy, right? Like a grandbaby sort of joy in finding that there's more joy instead of spending it with my coworkers, spending it now with, you know, my child's first child. And if there, so there are some demographic interplays that I think will act very differently than what we had before. Boomers did not do that with Xers at all. Um, but it might be that these kind of younger boomer parents might help their Gen Z or the older Xers, you know, might help their Gen Z and millennial, younger millennial children in, in a way that could be extremely positive. Um, you know, loneliness is actually probably a, a very significant uh, precursor to kind of uh, alien health, you know, for the elderly and what have you. So just being kind of micro-tribed together for longer might might serve on a long-term basis um, very healthy sort of extended life population dynamic, you know, with um, retirees. So just, again, something we're looking at in the micro, out to the macro, longer term, near term, maybe that'll help. Hopefully that helps you, Howard. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, uh, I hope, uh, we'll, we'll get a, uh, you know, a comment or something back on, on from Howard to make sure that we, we got everything that he asked answered. But, um, the last question that we'll go into is, uh, from Beach, I want to say B E E J. Uh, she asked for the top 23 consumer themes slash our top 200, sorry, 2023 consumer themes slash predictions. Uh, I do think we're going to see more baby making. So um, I do think we're going to start to see reversals in birth rates. Um, and that is interesting to me. 
I do think we're going to continue to walk away from goods back to services because we were pretty underspent in services. I think travel very likely could be calmer than expected in summertime and certainly next 2023 holiday as people uh, have their post-travel hangover um, spending that they need to kind of pay down and especially against the backdrop of that student loan repayment dynamic. So I think travel could, uh, it just would be very contrary. And I think to, to take that view right now, but that's just one of the discretionary categories that we think is potentially at risk if we do have some increased costs to the consumer travel just might end up having to um, take a little bit of a, a backseat there. So th that would be some just general thoughts. Again, not investment advice, but just as it relates to consumer behavior and pathways of consumer behavior, that's something we would be looking at. For sure. And you've been very generous with your time and you're always super generous and, and sharing your knowledge in the Twitter spaces. So um, with that, I guess we'll wrap it up. Uh, Neely, why don't you tell everybody what you got going on and where they can find you? Okay, thank you, Brandon. And just thank you so much for inviting me in on this space and just excited to uh, do this in like in person over video. That was fun. Okay, so what are we doing? Distill, we are, you know, if anyone here is watching and they're like, hey, we could use someone to help us figure out consumer behavior hook a girl up. Okay. I can help you out. Uh, this is what we do for a living. We do it in all sorts of ways from projects, research projects, to keynotes, to workshops, um, to retained uh, briefing sort of services, concierge briefing type services. That is what we do. So, you know, reach out to me. I'm very findable <laughs> with a name like Neely Tamiga, you will find me. Um, LinkedIn, Twitter, you'll find me. Our own website, distilladvisory.com. And then we're also launching a, a data product this year, and we're really excited about what this is going to be. And so we're going to go into beta next week. But if you're interested, maybe give us a follow over on Twitter, and we will continue to talk about it. So a very cool, unique data product. Yeah, uh, it seems like it's been, uh, you know, I've seen you tweeting about it a little bit. So I'm excited for that to come out and uh, see that beta. But yeah, I will link your Twitter account, uh, distilladvisory.com at uh in all the show notes and the comments below so be sure to check those out especially uh you know if you're looking for those services i can't recommend neely enough i mean she's she's amazing she's great um as you can tell throughout this conversation she's extremely knowledgeable so the green candle stamp of approval over here for sure so, <laughs> yay <laughs> yeah, so thank you so much for coming on and i uh look forward to interacting with you so much more throughout this year indeed thank you brandon have a great rest of the day Thanks, you too.